0: to another episode of the startup tori podcast this is your host patrick greif calling in from out here in Morrill park at pixelated um feeling amazing it is gemini season like full effect many of you know that i'm a gemini although we don't know when this is publishing it'll gemini season will be over for sure however tomorrow's my birthday um Last week, I was at Bonnaroo, pixelating the masses, and it was an amazing experience. Um, summer's here in Baltimore, feeling incredible about it. Um, not to mention, I have, um, I have a guest that I'm really, really excited um, to have on. Our attempts to set up this interview have beat the old records for difficulty, uh, whether it's because of my <laughs> schedule... Um, or outside forces. So it's great that there's a lot of anticipation. I'm gonna stop running my mouth and just welcome Cole. Welcome to the Startups Worry podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Happy birthday! Thank you, thank you,
0: thank you. 36. Yes. 36 years old tomorrow.
1: Look at that, the big three six. I
0: tell you. I don't have anything to say about that. (laughs) Cole, before we get into my questions, I need you to let everyone listening know who you are and what you do.
1: Excellent. So I was born in a log cabin back at, no, just kidding. Um, No, but I think that what is amazing about the journey is that, um, so my life work has been about investing in young people of color. Right, so innovators, folks who are willing to push boundaries, game changers, um, shake shit uppers, like people who see the world differently and believe that um, not only can things be different, but they're willing to take a risk really lean into what it takes on their part to make that happen and to manifest it in the world. So I feel like that has been the long journey um, from when I was in high school to when I was in college. Um, It is behind all of the institutions and now the company um, that I'm launching, which is just how do we invest in in some ways, I think about it as a, you know, almost a, a long-term investment strategy. Which is, uh, if young people of color are an untapped resource in this country, and we double down on them, then actually, uh, in the long run, I end up having one of the best investments ever made in history. And so that's how so much of my work has emerged, just out of my love of wanting to create space for the brilliance, the tremendous, um, really game-changing energy that I see young people of color bring into the world that then gets stifled and blocked by so many of the systems and structures and institutions around us. And so it's time to set that brilliance free and to put the tools into the hands of what we call the ready generation so that they're able to unleash this tidal wave of brilliance that we can all benefit from.
0: Where's the seed, like, in high school? Like, is there is there a change? I mean, you like... Yeah. Holistically, you're 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 a good person, right? So I understand that you were raised by good people because, like, you just you know you just bleed it out everywhere that you go. Um, So certainly that quality is there. But there there, I would assume that there's a catalyst moment, even if it's not like one definitive thing. But you kind of mentioned in high school, like that being where it is. So certainly there was a period of time prior to high school. So what was it that that really kind of helped you harness, like? less about what the individual thing is, because you know what we're gonna talk about here is we're gonna really show how you've carried that vision through in all these different types of, of vehicles. It's not just one thing, so what was it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there are a couple of pieces that were really, really critical to me having this analysis in different ways. One is um, I grew up in a, a mixed race and in mixed communities all my life, and so my mom is white, my dad is black, and grew up in spaces and places in which um, I had access very intimately through family and community to white people and white culture. And it gave me an ability to navigate through the world in a way that a lot of folks didn't, which felt really, really unfair. Um, Like, why should you have to be born into a family in which you have access to whiteness to be um, able to navigate those spaces. I think people who go to predominantly white schools, that's also the same benefit you get from it. It it comes at a very high cost to your spirit and your soul. I think that very early on, I was able to see how those moments um, challenged me but also really gave me a set of skills around social capital and around how this world works um, that a lot of my peers who didn't have that didn't have. Um, That was really, I think, striking. I think another big piece for me was that um, I became a student facilitator and leader and uh, kind of was very catalyzed around the Rodney King riots in 92 and the organizing that came out of that and a need to be able to really help people to see not only across difference but to be able to see themselves in other people because I think that that's ultimately about why we invest in each other is because I see something in you that inspires me but it also reminds me deeply of my own journey and I realize that I now have resources that I didn't have when I was where you were and I'm eager actually to give them to you so that your journey is just a little bit easier than mine and so that was a big motivating factor for me. I grew up and went to a high school that was wildly diverse everything from like we had not just a black student union but we had a political african forum there was a southeast asian um, student group as well as an east asian student group we had a, an irish club there was a, a whole range of um, really diverse experiences that we were exposed to and i think there was the benefit of growing up in california um, that it it helped me to understand and be in culture in a way that um, I really began to see so many of the commonalities that actually our mainstream culture really tries to keep us from understanding and seeing. It's about how different we are and the wedges that get driven between our communities. And so for me, that was a real game changer too, which is like, Well, part of the system is designed to actually keep us from organizing ourselves with each other. And what would it look like if we were able to do that? So my work around leadership development and investing in innovators has been about how do I harness the social capital and the resources that I've been able to bring to bear in my own life, and how do I hand them to you? And how do I do that in a way that brings us all closer to each other so that we begin to do that for each other? Because ultimately, we have the numbers. We are not only just now demographically shifting the entire country. Uh, 2018, so already in California, 70% of young people under 25 are people of color. 70%. By 2018, the majority of young people under 18 will be people of color, and by 2040, it will be national across our entire population. So it's an exciting moment that I think we're not fully ready for as a country and as a community of young people of color. And I that's see an it so as it's huge. It's so exciting. It's so huge. But like we have to it should get ready. Be a
0: countdown to it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I love like, it. This should be like you know, like that's like 1999, right? We're gonna party like it's night. Like yes. that should be the countdown. Yes. Like in a way, it would be almost amazing to see uh, to see our country recognize it as an opportunity to really kind of divisively acknowledge our history and how we're at an opportunity place to say like we really need to contain this and figure out how to get at peace with it and really recognize how much we can redesign the way that our entire country works and that it really needs to be reimagined from the ground up. So let's call 2040. It's like adbc right
1: (laughs) i love it i think you're absolutely right i think that this country has systematically disinvested in a generation of young people for hundreds of years intentionally locked us out of opportunity and now we're at this kind of critical point in which Continuing to do that is only going to sabotage the entire future of this country, because now we are the majority of this country's young people. And so incarcerating us, keeping us out of college, keeping us from buying homes, keeping us from having access to resources that allow us to start and launch and build ventures and organizations is only going to impact the infrastructure of this country. So we see ourselves as restitching what we call the opportunity infrastructure so that young people of color in their 20s and 30s, um, as well as in their late teens, really um, are, have access to it and are able to really transform not just their own lives personally, but the lives of their families and their communities. Because we know that when we invest in young people of color, um, that they invest in each other and they invest back in their community.
0: There's so many things to go through. So, so much. What is Brioxy? Uh
1: So Brioxy is the first social capital network for innovators of color. Um, The majority of our folks um, are in their 20s and 30s, though we are not limited in age. We have some of our members um, are in their 50s and 60s, um, and some are in their teens. Really, it is a space and a community, um, a set of tools You join, it has a monthly membership, it's $25 a month, and what you get access to is life coaching. You get your own dream maker whose job it is to help you kind of move forward around your set goal for the year. You get access to everyone else in the network. You also get access to a whole host of workshops um, and our annual summit, um, webinars, basically bringing some of the best thinkers across the country um, to you so that you can strengthen the way that you lead, the way that you build, the way you think, the way you strategize. And then you also get discounts and perks. We keep joking that we're like AARP for people of color, particularly young people of color, um, in that our goal is to make the road easier so that you can be more successful, so you can stop wasting time actually fighting the sexism and the homophobia and the transphobia and the racism that is all around you and put all of that energy. Think of just like the number of hours of my life, right, Of, of young people of color's lives that is spent, wasted, trying to manage all of the trauma that comes with living in this culture and society and how much more we could create if we were able to just pour that energy directly into what we're good at, wherever that is.
0: So how old is, is Brioxy as like a formal entity?
1: We are brand spanking new. So we officially launched last year. Next month, it will be our birthday. Who knows? Does that make us part of the Gemini season? We're out of the Gemini season. <laughs> so yeah, we'll um, we'll be one year next month. Awesome. Um, and in our first year, we have um, brought together over 500 members. We just held the first summit for innovators of color at the White House. We are going to network 1,000 innovators of color um, in the DMV, so the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. We're shooting for 10,000 nationally, really over the next five years, with the idea being that if we have 1,000 members here, um, even just in Baltimore, that, that really anything becomes possible. And if we have 10,000 members nationally, anything becomes possible. And so it's been really inspiring. We just signed, started signing people up um, for membership in the last uh, two months. And it, already the impact that it's having on people's lives and the things they're trying to do, the way that people are collaborating um, and learning from being part of the network is really incredible. Ooh.
0: Sorry, I just have to like figure out how to get these two questions written down. This is Patrick's like super thinking face right now. So (laughs) it feels a lot like you've spent your life collecting these experiences and then documenting the assets as you've gotten to them and understanding how they how they're being like addressed, right? And it feels a little bit like the culmination of, of that, like resources, the ability for you to scale how to get people to them, right? Because you can only be you. And we're going to talk about the the test kitchen in Baltimore (laughs) up in Reservoir Hill in a minute. But like, you can only be you, right? And the information that you have is like intrinsically valuable to anyone that you can get it to their ears. And that's something that's difficult to do. So is it like, is that kind of like the idea Is it becomes this vehicle that can become a brand that you can scale and then Ideally, you just attach more and more resources. As you, as you biz dev them in, it just becomes more and more valuable. And then before you know it, it's an organized body that is around resources and ideas and conversations and relationships that pertain to that space but then it can really kind of become an amalgamation of wherever it goes.
1: Yep. It becomes the space where if as an innovator of color, you feel stagnant and you feel like you're spinning your wheels and you feel like you don't have the resources to manifest what you're trying to do in the world. This becomes your watering hole. It becomes your community. We become your tribe, whether virtually or in person, it's exactly all of those things. And our goal is to make, the membership already like more than pays for itself um, you know we're all about at $25 a month we're about scale right this is not about I'm gonna charge you $150 an hour for life coaching right. right this is about $25 a month that's like several coffees it's like half a dinner out at a cool restaurant like that's an investment that allows you to be part of something that also is just so much greater than any one of us which is that we are able then to push and move for systems change, policy change, that actually impacts our entire generation.
0: Okay, so so why Baltimore? I mean, so a lot of these listeners uh, will have listened to Aisha tell the mm-hmm. story um, from the Dove Coat point of view, and if you guys haven't, um, we're gonna let Cole be very thin on that stuff, so you have to go back and find the uh, episode. I think it might be episode 66 um, with Aisha Q from Dovecote so don't go too deep okay. on that but I want to talk about Dovecote and how you guys ended up in Baltimore from the brioxy point of view which is like how would you know like why was Baltimore a good fit for brioxy and why has you know why is Reservoir Hill a good fit for what you're trying to do?
1: Great question. Yeah, I think so. The whole reason we came back. So originally, we're both from the East Coast. I was born in D.C. She's born in New York. We have been in California. She's been there um, 13 years. We just made 13 years together. Thank you. Um, on Sunday, but but she'd been there for 13 years. I'd been there for like almost 30, 25 years. Um, gosh, dang. Uh, <laughs> Um, But I think that like one of the things that was really incredible is we were both eager to get back to the East Coast. Um, There's a level of just raw authenticity that you get on the East Coast that you don't get on the West Coast. We missed um, sticky hot summer nights. We missed the level of intensity and historicness of the communities of color that we grew up in. Um, And so all of that we were seeking and we thought about like, well, where should we go? We looked at cities all over the country and um, we got invited because of the summit that we were planning at the White House to the holiday party to meet the president and the first lady. And so um, it was amazing. We came in for the weekend and we were here and we had such an incredible time that weekend just like being with friends, being in community um, and being back on the East Coast. And we were like, this is it. Let's just do it we don't have a clear plan like I had been encouraged to think about this fellowship and doing that and I was like we don't even have a plan and we, we just both knew it was time we went home that was in December um, of last year and we basically went home and packed our entire house by February we would put it on the market um, and then by August we were driving across country so Baltimore was really key for Brioxy because Baltimore has the largest population of black innovators in the country there is a an Say that incredible. again baltimore has the largest community of black innovators in the country right, that are that are here already i think so much of what happens in a city like this is that people just get so so much of the conversation is about how do we attract in what we need that you forget that you actually have everything that you need right here
0: so one of the things that i think is like i don't know i'll call it funny is the, I mean, y'all both deserve to be lauded for like what you've accomplished with Dove Coat and how you created a place for it to, place a sticky spot. But what I think is really funny is when people are like, "Yeah, they like blew in from California and like, like it's it's like great there," which it is, but like, ninety nine point nine percent of the people that make up why Dove Code is so great have been in Baltimore forever. Mm-hmm. You you know, like it and and like this has been happening. It's just the portal. It's framed, right? It's right. it's more easy to like process it. And now there's a place that it's happening around. And it's not that there haven't been other places as well, but you know like you guys have done it in a very special way and it's really beautiful because it's also, you know, you're intuiting as well as you do it. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a huge amount of intuiting like actions um, and it's such a, a space that has like it, that is teaching like actively, constantly constantly teaching and nurturing and like it's beautiful and so so special for that. but at the same time, that's why I made you say it twice because it's so obvious that there are so many incredible people in our city to me. And what I've always said is that the, the greatest struggle that I think that we have as Baltimoreans is that we all want to talk to one another, but the psychology of the last 70, 100, 200 years in our city has prevented us from being able to even address one another. And it's what everybody wants to do, but nobody can figure out how to do you know, like, no one can figure out how to do it. I've got that, like, story of, like, walking around, a reservoir, walking around the reservoir with my kids. And there was, like, a Y table set up with, like, people, like, not really manning it, but kind of manning it. <laughs> and the kids were like, can we go over? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So we go over. And, like, nobody's trying to talk at all. And by the time we're done, because you know, like, I can't walk away from that challenge unanswered. <laughs> by the time we're done, one of the girls on the bench has pulled out her phone, and she has an email from me in it.
1: I love it. So it
0: was because she's on the pixelated newsletter mm-hmm. because she loves Tori Smith and what we do with this foundation and like, and by the time we're done, like everyone is looking around at each other like, like how how the fuck did this happen? Mm-hmm. But literally, we ended up having an amazing time, and it was just that nobody was game to get through how to like start it. But once the pump got rolling, it was literally like, all right, like yep, I gotta get like. I gotta go, I mean, you know how I am, like I can never stop talking, like ever. <laughs> um, so at any rate, you were just kind of tying up why Baltimore was such a great fit for, yeah. for the Breoxy plant.
1: And I think that to your point, right, like they're part of what it is, is like all of the ingredients are here. It's just about the space and place. And I think there are a couple of factors to that, right? Which is, one, we live in an age where, like, everything is virtual. And so even the idea of engaging with people we don't know seems strange and we're so isolated from each other. I think the other big factor in a city like Baltimore is that this is a black city, right? White people are so uncomfortable to talk about race in this country, still, in this day and age. It is so uncomfortable. But... Ultimately, what that means then is that white people in Baltimore are sitting here praying for more white people to come so that they can be proud of their city because they have been taught over their life. That, like, anything related to blackness is inferior and negative. And so, black people in this city have been, like, felt the brunt of that, right? And been isolated and have experienced a series of, like, some of the most racist policies that were created in the entire country, originated in Baltimore, um, in terms of housing and redlining, so many different things, right? We live in a city where 70% of the population are people of color, 66% of them black, and only a third of the businesses. And the infrastructure and the systems that people rely on are led and, and owned and run by black folks. So I think that ultimately we've created this like really deep imbalance where basically you have a small population of people who are white, who have m- the majority of the resources in the city, who are praying for more white people to come so that they don't have to deal with all of the black people that are here. When in fact, like the fact that this city, like Baltimore could be 10 times doper than Atlanta. Baltimore could be like, Baltimore could be the epicenter. We know that everything fly and incredible that we love about American culture. Well, I could tell you exactly how it traces back to the origins of black folks being in this country. Like Everything that makes our country magic is literally sitting here in the city, right outside these doors. But our like inherent, embedded, internalized racism won't allow us to just open the doors and invest in the people who actually could do that. And I think that it's a shame. Um, and I understand where it comes from. And I think that at this day and age, like, what happened, the magic, is, like, ultimately, when you give resources to people who are equipped to step outside of the limited box you're going to let us live in as black folks, Dove Code is what happens. brioxy is what happens. You know, we have hundreds of members who are doing that every day, whether you're black, whether you're Latino, whether you're Southeast Asian, whether you're indigenous, whether you're Arab and Middle Eastern, like there's a tiny box that you get to live in which basically defines who you can be and the opportunity you have access to and what you can bring into the world. And if we shake that box free, Then you get spaces like Dove Coat, you get spaces like what we've been able to create in Brioxy, which are literally transformational, not just for the people of color who are living in them, but for all of the white folks that are connected to it. And I think that ultimately that's really what this is about, is like, when I get free, you get free. And part of the challenge is that our systems and our country has told us that like, when I get free, somehow it, it keeps you from being free when in reality that's not the case at all and we have to shift our thinking around that if we're actually going to open up opportunity because I see the same people, even though Baltimore is on the rise and things are moving, I see the same 25 young white guys in every meeting and in every space who are getting resources and capital to be able to invest in what people are hoping will be the future of Baltimore. And to me what that says is that people are hoping that that future is white and that they're not interested in investing in the existing community of really dope and incredible young people here that have spent generations in this city yeah Say it. <laughs> all
0: right so can we go for it we're mm-hmm. gonna go in right? go for so it go so go. much about like like we we like we've talked about like the the wave of gentrification, right? We've talked about the the massive risk that Baltimore is at if we don't figure out a way to really structure things. And that like everybody thinks about that and I started thinking about that from like a Applebee's and a Walmart coming in, right? But mm-hmm. that's not how it starts yep. at all. No. And uh and like it's a it's a very we're talking about like self-awareness uh and it and it dovetails perfectly into what you were just talking about. So How should white people in Baltimore be thinking about addressing race Mm -hmm. okay so like it's acknowledged that like it's elephant in the room on like stun right like the the, like the the greatest thing that no one can look eye-to-eye about how like what is the template because like most of the time I think that people are looking for 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 cues but they're like uncomfortable to say that. Or they're uncomfortable to say I don't know how to behave, because I'm only following with this pattern that was printed on me. Even even my my most lefty leftist of left brain self still behaves in ways that I inherently cannot see what I'm doing right. Whether that's whether that's. Uh, wanting to move to Reservoir Hill now that it's getting cool, right? Like, I'm not a business owner. I'm not, I don't want to buy from Walmart either, but Mm -hmm. the house is so cheap over there. Or, like, how does that conversation begin? Like, do you have, I mean, what do you think? Yeah. Um, I know it's tough. I hope you don't mind. No, 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 no. I think it's
1: it's good. I think that, um, so there are a couple of pieces, which is, right, like, There's a piece around gentrification and how do we keep communities' legacy, what we call legacy communities, from being um, upended by socioeconomic forces, which I think people kind of shrug off and say, well, like, that's progress, Um, but actually, that's not progress. And, like, we were just driving through a neighborhood in a community the other day. We were just over down by Patterson Park, which has experienced a lot of gentrification. Um, And I was like, you know, it's so funny to me that people describe this as, like, a desirable neighborhood. There's nobody out on the streets, like, there's no energy like the, the neighborhood doesn't even feel alive. And like that we've defined that exe- as success is just like hella white, right? Like that's what white neighborhoods feel like. People don't really talk to each other. They're like awkwardly waved. They live in their houses. They don't spend their lives out in the community. And really, as a result of it, they feel isolated and sad and depressed. And they're like all of these really intense suicide rates and rates of violence against other people. And so like why would we be defining that as like the ideal model of what we want when um, our communities are just so full of life? So I think that one, it's about like reframing. And I do think it's about like where do you move and what decisions do you make? Like actually you should stay in Federal Hill, live in Canton, right? Like ultimately just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think to this piece around race in the conversation, right? Which is like There's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of awkwardness around conversations about race, but that does nothing for the solution. That would be like if I was like, I know that I'm assaulting you by my experience, like just my presence and I don't mean to be and I'm sorry and I'm aware that you are currently being assaulted and I'm watching it happen, this violence, like someone is literally beating you up in the street and you walk up to someone and you're like, I see what's happening and I understand and I just want you to know that I'm aware of what's happening right now. People are like, you would never do that. You would never walk up to somebody who is being assaulted in the street and be like, I'm aware of what's happening. I just want you to know I care about what's happening right now. Like, you would intervene. You would do something. You would figure out what resources you had to bring to bear. And I think that that's really just the state of race in this country is that it's perfectly acceptable for white people to be like, I feel a lot of anxiety and I feel a lot of guilt and I feel sad. And that—that's kind of where the conversation ends, Um, and that just doesn't do anything to change the systems and the structures. So for me, what that means is like, all of us have access to resources. Which is like, personally, how many organizations that are led by people of color do you give to every year?
0: Sure.
1: Right. Like. Literally, like that, this question of like, how many businesses, how many organizations do you support? How many times when you're invited to a table where resources are going to be allocated, do you ask the question of like, oh gosh, there's everybody around this table looks like me, right? Like, how often are you inviting people to that table? How often are you thinking about what resources you might get that you actually can share with other folks in different ways? I think that that fundamentally, you know, and then everybody wants to be like, well, I don't have that much. So then how can I? share with other people, Um, but that scarcity mode, one, is relative. So actually compared to most folks, you actually have a lot. Um, And... As long as we stay in that mindset, like people need to recognize that a state of abundance comes from giving. It doesn't come from hoarding. Right? Like that If you are in a space where you are willing to give whatever you have of your own resources, that you create a culture in which we take care of each other. And that is a culture that is very much reflective of the values of communities of color. And that's what we do with and for each other. And it's even what we do with white communities, which is what makes us our communities so vulnerable, is that people are super open and welcoming. And they don't realize, like, ultimately, long term, You may be welcoming today, but 10 years from now, you're going to feel like a stranger in your own neighborhood and community because that's the way that race works in this country. So I have chosen in the work that I do to like peel off this piece of like, how do I help young people of color to give to each other, right, and innovators of color to really invest in each other and create a spirit of abundance within and among us because we've internalized that stuff. I think there's a whole body of work to be done with white folks to be in different relationship. And until that's the case, then like, I'm going to take all my joy and all my beauty and all my brilliance, and I'm going to give it to my people, because I spent a lot of time in my life early on really trying to invest those talents and gifts in getting white folks to see my humanity and other folks' humanity who look like me and um, who are other people of color, and um, it hasn't been that successful. and so. I am, I'm a smart investor <laughs> in terms of where I put those resources. And I think that um, if white folks in this country aren't careful, more people of color are going to make the decisions that I'm making right now, which is like, actually, I'm not going to invest in your systems or structures anymore. And I'm going to invest in my own. And pretty soon, if we continue to do that, um, we build everything that we need. So I'm excited about a future that is in that space. And I think there will be people who want to be part of that and will invest in those systems and structures with us.
0: That's awesome. Um, that's awesome. Thanks. You answered that question incredibly, which like allows me to, so systems and structures, right? Mm-hmm. So I know you have a plan for housing in Baltimore and I don't want to like say much about it because they've only read like a little tiny bit about it. So, but I know that there's like a, even like a scale number that you have like a tipping point. Can you talk about that? Is that like secret or?
1: (laughs) Some of it is secret. But I think that um, what I will say is that we are very invested. So this is around the country. Uh, We work with young people of color. We work with innovators of color. In Baltimore, that happens to be that the majority of the folks we work with are black. But in um, California, the majority of the young people we work with are Latino um, or Pacific Islander or Southeast Asian. So wherever we are, we're invested in like who are the young people that are going to shape this community? And I think one of the things around housing that's really critical, right, we have a we just released a policy platform, and there are four points to it, and the fourth point is around housing. The other three are around immigration reform because um, we need a comprehensive way for um, everyone in the ready generation and their families to have access to citizenship because, as I say, if my mama can't be free, then I can't be free. <laughs> um, one piece is around specific access to capital, And another piece is around the crushing level of student debt that our generation is under. I think housing surprises people, and the reason it surprises people is because you don't think like, well, people who are innovators and young and just getting started aren't trying to buy houses. But actually, I think that that's part of the challenge, right? Which is that um, the majority of wealth in this country is actually created through home, intergenerational home ownership, and that for generations, um, people of color, whether it's around their documented status whether it's around race um have been systematically denied access to owning their own homes and so for us we believe that actually owning your home is critical to being part of your community but it's also critical to putting your kids through college it's critical to starting a business like the whole reason we were able to do what we are doing here is because we own two houses in california and we were able to use the resources from our house and my mother-in-law's house to be able to um, invest in a scale that we are doing in this community now. So we are very interested in making sure that Baltimore has the highest rate of black home ownership in the country. What does that look like? That means that like, literally, we, it would take $10 million to invest and support $2,000, $10 million a year um, which is a fraction, right? The governor is going to give $700 million to tear down houses in the city, right? So just $10 million of resources would put 2,000 young folks that grew up in the city in their first home across the city. We could do that for 10 years and there would be zero vacancy. And thousands of families would who have been renting for generations in the city would own their own homes. So for us, it's a critical question and it's a critical issue. How do we make sure that really the only thing standing between families who have been in a community for generations is credit and down payment. Those are the only two things. And most of the time, we're talking about like several thousand dollars that would actually put a family in a home. So that's across the entire city. We're interested in actually transforming the landscape so that there are far more homeowners um, that are young people that grew up in the city who never thought that we joke, like you don't stop for being first generation in college, right? If you make it to college, you're first generation to buy a house, you're first generation to get a career, you're first generation to negotiate these things. That you still need support and you still need your village and that's part of what we're trying to do for folks
0: that's awesome i wish i had 10 million dollars let's do this when i heard that whoever's heard listening that number, to the
1: podcast that has 10 million dollars my email is now just kidding. yes what is your email my email is cole at
0: b-r-i-o-x-y.com Seriously, that—that's the kind of things I'm trying to like ask for now. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I want. All of you. There's a thousand people subscribed to this thing. It's amazing. A thousand people.
1: That's amazing.
0: What's the math on that to get to ten million dollars? You do like <laughs> run like a run like a call in drive.
1: Right. Well, then you could be like on the radio. You could be like literally old school on TV.
0: Look, if 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 that was if we could realistically get ten million dollars, I would do that in a heartbeat that would be incredible yeah. so is the process for that are you looking you know is there how do you how does that get funded how does that project get funded
1: um you know i think that there are a lot of ways that it could be funded i think we're um exploring all of the different options right now we are looking to network um a community of a thousand folks and so invite any innovators of color that are listening to go to com. you just apply um to sign up it's Pretty simple, it takes two minutes. And our, we're in conversation with a lot of our core foundation partners and, um, and other folks just about like, what would that look like? What would it look like to actually directly resource um, generations, like a generation of young people across the country to be in homes and embedded in community? We think that if you double down on innovators of color, Um, like we're doing uh, in our community that there are lots of different ways and part of it is like it's a lot easier to come from outside of Baltimore right and to actually do this work that people see and experience you different and part of what we're trying to do is change the game not just for those of us who are um, coming into the city but really for folks who grew up in the city because I think that these are all things that I wanted to do in the neighborhood in the community that I grew up in in Oakland Um, and the the market just got away from us both in terms of like the impact from the tech company and the tech scene and you know it's it's obscene now it really really is obscene and average you create a culture in a society in which basically the people who build the infrastructure so they're the people who work at the institutions they work in the companies they feed you they clean up after you they basically make it possible for you to live Um, with their labor, their everyday labor can't afford to live in the community, they can't afford to enjoy the community, and so those people basically then just commute in to take care of you and then commute back out because there's such a really ill, um, unequitable distribution of wealth and resources, and I think that New York and the Bay Area um, are, are rapidly becoming that, and if we're not careful, that will happen in cities across the country.
0: So, maybe will you talk a little bit about the talk about the summit talk Mm -hmm. about what it um this was the 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 first one right Mm -hmm. so maybe talk about what it was what like what went on during it what some of the people um that you that you drew in to it uh, and what its goals are
1: i love it yeah so it the summit was incredible it was the first of its kind um really the the white house had never done a summit for innovators of color we brought together so over the course of the weekend there were 350 folks who participated in all of the events Um, we had a hundred folks that were core that went through everything and we kicked off um, in baltimore with a day kind of reflecting on and making space to hear from some of the folks who are involved on the ground in the work that's happening across the city who grew up here um, to really set the context for the entire weekend it was amazing we bust everybody in from dc Um, and turned up and then headed back to DC that night. We kicked off um, and we had a series of sessions that talked about core and critical issues, everything from immigration reform and how do we transform the narrative, how do we get all people of color on board with this conversation and behind the immigration reform fight to um, how do we celebrate and honor the legacy and the beauty and the power of Black women and the tremendous influence Black women have had on culture and particularly on um, systems and structures and like cultures of resistance um, in this country? So we had a Black Girl Magic panel that included to um, so the immigration reform um, included folks who were who are actually this month. Um, launching the I Am an Immigrant campaign with a number of folks around the country. They just did a big exhibit at the White House. They also just did a film about Sophie, the little girl who gave a letter to the Pope. Um, they just made a film about her. So, And then on the Black Girl Magic panel, we had Jamila Lemieux, who's the editor of Ebony, um, Bree Newsom, who climbed the pole and ripped down the Confederate flag, Kashawn Thompson, who really came up with the idea of Black Girl Magic, as well as Cece McDonald, who is one of the first black trans women. She was attacked by a group of men, and she Fought back, and one of them died, and she was incarcerated, and she is one of the first um, trans women uh, of color, but particularly a black trans woman, to be freed because of community organizing and support, um, because she was defending herself when she was walking home that night. So it was like an incredible. We threw a concert. MC Light was the DJ. Uh, Pixelated was there. It was like a fabulous and incredible morning, and then. Um, whole weekend and then Monday we were at the White House and we heard from basically every liaison to communities of color, um, the folks at My Brother's Keeper, the folks that just did the United State of Women, um, really to talk about what is this moment of opportunity, how do we best leverage it, and how are we organized around it. So it was a game changer. It opened up a larger conversation, and I think people were able to see what we're talking about, which is that it was not a conference. It was like a community convening. It was a convergence. Yeah, it was definitely. A really word for it, right? it definitely was, it definitely was. And so now um, we're excited about kind of what comes next. We're thinking about what we wanna do next year. But right now, our big focus is on like, how do we build our membership?
0: Sure. Mm-hmm. So does, uh, what was your what's your relationship like with the White House? And is it something that they will support and pro- will, it, will it happen in, in Congress with them, although probably not in Congress. Um, (laughs) Is that the way that it works? Um, Is it is it risky? That that, does that relationship, you know, become questionable next year when? Yeah. Whatever (laughs) way. Whatever the winds blow. I know. Oh my God! (laughs) It's so
1: crazy. Uh, so yeah definitely one of the things that was really powerful about this is that it was a long time in the making Um, we worked with several so when you're in the end of an administration there's a lot of transition so our point person changed three times um, over the course of planning for this event so they are really in the final phase. Like the last six months is like shutting things down. They're not launching new initiatives, um, that sort of thing. But we've been really fortunate to work with an incredible um, policy think tank called Policy Link, which is based in California. They helped us to write a policy paper. You can find it on the website for anyone that's interested. Um, And I think one of the things that we're trying to figure out now is how do we set up to help whatever the next administration is be ready to support and invest in this generation. And that's about like thinking not only about how do we build connections and relationships depending on who ends up winning, but also how do we lay out and strengthen the policy platform that we've laid out in our paper so that it actually becomes policies that can be put in place that will actually fundamentally, I'm about resources and capital. Like, that's just the truth of the matter, which is that if we're not moving, and when I say resources, capital, I mean like citizenship. Right, like that's a, a direct resource that gives us access to so much in this country that if you don't have access to it, you are virtually locked out of the opportunity infrastructure in this country. So, until we're like ready to like move on those things, and we have to figure out how do we make the country ready for those conversations, and then how do we push our legislators to actually be able to stand up for families, um, and particularly for the in- the majority of the families that do the majority of the work in this country that actually make it possible for all of the rest of us to enjoy anything that we have, um, to me, is like part of the fight that comes next. And we're going to lose this administration because they're leaving, but we're excited um, about like what comes next. And we are hopeful that we will not say hope. we, we are who we are hopeful for. We are very hopeful um, that we continue to be in relationship to be able to move some
0: of the stuff forward. Ultimately, for you, it's just about the access to, to have the support, because there's probably not really anybody that's going to end up wanting to do exactly what any, any of us might want to do. Exactly.
1: So. Unless we can take the 1,000 fans and turn them into a presidential campaign, like, yeah, <laughs> that's not going to happen.
0: So, Cole, you're a, you're a born leader. You're great at it. Uh, sorry, you're going to get a little praise. Um, you're great at it, right? You've got a perspective and a set of experiences and a set of, um, you know, like unique things that have made you who you are and have brought you to the point that you are right now. How, like, how high does your leadership aspire to?
1: (laughs) That's a great question. Um, You know, I'm really, really happy with where I am. I think that this is the work that I was put on this earth to do. Um I've launched a nonprofit called Brown Boy Project which is doing incredibly well and is growing um and I'm excited to be able to like if I'm able to organize thousands of innovators of color in this country. That's really that's really what I came to do because I think that you know leadership I was just having this conversation um, with aisha my wife um, last night and this morning just about like how much of a sacrifice you make in terms of being a leader um, being visible being out there like it comes at a cost and I am grateful for like the 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 really incredible folks I've been able to touch and like be part of their journey in their lives because they are phenomenal and they inspire me and I feel just humbled to be able to be like I was like a small little piece of that Um, but it definitely some days is really really hard and you ask yourself like what am I doing and am I going in the right direction and um, am I really having an impact and so I feel very grateful to have known that like the work that I have put out into the world has saved people's lives and it has created opportunity for them to save other people's lives and to be a light um, in spaces of darkness that's really important and that to me is like all I, ever, I mean, I, I often say I can't believe that I get to do this every day for a living. It's incredible. My tribe is fierce, and I am so honored to be part of it and to fight for them um, every day. And I just hope that I get more resources to be able to fight for them even harder as the future comes.
0: Awesome. Well, I've known you for a very short period of time, but you've had a tremendous impact on me. Uh, for sure. Like, Thanks, absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a great honor to know you. Um, so I shouldn't print the be call for president. Yet. <laughs> Let's hold just, off. Just, Let's, just hold off right. right. Let's hold off on those long right. signs. Party. us Okay. Hold off on those long signs. Okay. So we've talked for a long time. I know you've got busy stuff to do. Before we go, though, uh, I want to make sure that you let every person that's listening know, like, who should be getting involved. How should they be getting involved? Maybe good place for them to follow along on social like get all that stuff out there like all the asks that you want be bullish
1: excellent i love it be bullish um so yes what we're looking to do is build our membership i would love it if folks um who are on the podcast the podcast kind of community and are listening right now um join us right so sign up for membership at brioxy it's uh, brioxy.com b-r-i-o-x-y um and Not only should you sign up, but like at this point, most of our stuff is happening through word of mouth, but you should share it with others. Starting next month, we're going to kick off a series of spaces and events and meetings that are going to be happening all over um, the city, as well as happening virtually, in case folks are listening not here in the DMV region. Um, But I think one of the most powerful things that folks can do is in their own life, think about in the next 30 days, how are you going to take actual resources that you have access to and invest them in somebody who looks completely different from you? Whether that's like, I'm black and I invest a ton of work and resources in young Latinos. Like, specifically, how are you going to take the resources that you have access to and transform them so that you are moving them beyond it? I think that um, one of the greatest things I heard about race and racism is just like, If we think about it as a system and a structure, right, like it's kind of like money in that there's a currency out there that says, like, this is the way that we should do things and this is the way we should be. And once more than 10% of the currency in an economy is counterfeit, the government has to like reprint all the money because basically you're at a point now where the system is broken and we've never approached that percentage um, in a long time here in the US. But that's what I think about it, which is like, there's a currency about who has access to what that is like, hoard what you have, hold on to it tightly, share it with people who inspire you, quote unquote, who most often look like you. And the only way that we're gonna counterfeit that currency is if we basically transform it. Let's let's just break the mold on it. And if only 10% of us in the city did that, it would be enough to change almost everything. So I invite folks that are on the podcast to think about how you're going to counterfeit um, the systems of power around you and opportunity in the next 30 days. I invite you to join us at Brioxy and ask you to tell one friend to join us as well. If you do that, we'll hit our goal for June.
0: All right. Um, Cole, thank you for taking the time to come in, tell us about your story, tell us about all these great things that you're up to. Um, super, super excited for you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is incredible. And like, it's just been so amazing to be able to be part of Pixelated's community um, and to be able to partner. You all do so much and are connected to so many incredible innovators. And so from being part of the Startup Soiree family to being part of the Pixelated community, like it's just been, it's been dope.
0: It feels like to me the last six months, seven months, feel like all the people that I've been waiting for to show up to live the rest of my life, have been showing up. You Damn. know, like, I mean, I know that, like, that's some heavy shit. That's but, like, some I'm heavy a, shit? I'm a heavy, like, I'm a heavy dude <laughs> in a lot of ways, but I legitimately feel like, holy fucking shit, like, all of these amazing people, like, it's happening, mm-hmm. and I'm 35, and I've got, like, I've got some traction that I can, like, dispel, like, I can use this. I was talking to someone uh, this morning was interviewing me about startups, Story, and I was like, the reason I've been able to go in harder with it than I could with Pixelate is that it's like it's self like the whole the whole vibe of what I'm trying to do is I just want it to be louder so I can say look over there mm-hmm. and like that's a really amazing thing so all of this stuff is coming to a head and I literally it feels like the Rat Pack it feels like there yes. there are this there's this group of people that are finding one another in our city yep. and like you know like you said earlier the only thing I disagreed that you said was that. Baltimore could be bigger than Atlanta. When in fact, what I think is, Baltimore will yes. be bigger than Atlanta, and it's going to be the work of you and me and like people, you know, like people like Tabore, like those people that literally just make me so stoked. You know, like that dude calls yeah. and says, I just like just calling, just like. Just wanna check in, see how you're doing, and Love then it's it. like you good? And I'm like, I'm good. And he's like, All right man, like we'll catch up. Like Love those it. kind of things are beautiful things and that's the way that our lives should be lived is around that sense of like intimate community where you're yeah. literally thinking about someone and you say, Like, I'm calling to tell you that I'm thinking about you and like that's not weird. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a good thing
1: it's an amazing thing
0: alright guys you heard the deal sorry about the generator that popped up in the middle of that but <laughs> you, you'll find all of it so Breoxy B-R-I-O-X-Y dot com it's at Brioxy on Instagram is it Brioxy Life on Snapchat
1: it's Brioxy Life on um, Twitter on Twitter Brioxy, yeah
0: gotcha um, tell your friends send people to the website go find the website and share it and say I heard this cool podcast give it a listen but also here's a link um, get out there. Put a little effort towards helping helping spread the word about what the potential behind Brioxi is because it's an amazing way that we can really put our power behind something that's going to have a huge impact on our city, and um, and get the you know the the seven tenths of the team that we don't field onto the field so we can all win because Baltimore's going to win. Okay, Baltimore's going to win. That's it. If you haven't yet, make sure that you're subscribing whether this is in iTunes or the Sound cloud player or on stitcher you can subscribe in all those spots if you haven't yet head over to the store leave us a quick review your reviews tell itunes to tell more people about this podcast which helps more people hear these great stories from these great people in our great city this is your host patrick reif keep taking care of each other peace